HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, April 9th, and this is the 14th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in hospitality. Now, today my theme is hospitality PR. And although I could talk to myself all episode, that could be a little boring. So I do have a very special guest here today, someone I greatly admire, and I will introduce her in a second. Before I do that, I'm going to start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, restaurant news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. Okay, so as the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Now, today's tip is to be supportive of your colleagues. Now, here are my reasons. First, people that do what you do get what you do. So you can bond with companies similar to yours, sharing experiences, concerns, advice, frustrations, and successes. Also, in PR, there may be opportunities to collaborate on a pitch with your colleagues, such as trend pieces on restaurants. Sometimes the power is in the numbers, so don't rule it out. Next, you never know where you're going to get a referral. It could come from your quote-unquote competition. And lastly, it's just good karma. And I think there's enough work out there for all of us to be successful. So support your colleagues. That's my tip today. Now, speaking of colleagues, I am thrilled to be doing a PR show and have my guest here today, as she is a leader in hospitality PR. It is Jennifer Baum, the president and founder of Bullfrog and Baum. Under her guidance, the agency has had a hand in turning chefs like Laurent Torrendel 
and Michael White into internationally recognized names while strategizing for celebrity chefs like Bobby Flay and Wolfgang Puck. Jennifer began her career far from the restaurant world, amid blue chips and the Fortune 500. After receiving her MBA from NYU, she became captivated by the business of hospitality. Combining her corporate savvy with an innate understanding of what makes restaurants successful, she carved out a niche for herself, building an agency that not only specializes in restaurants, but brings strategy to the diverse array of needs that figure into their success. She is known and respected as a creative, energetic thinker who values honesty and integrity above all else. These principles are imparted daily to her staff, which now numbers close to 30. Jennifer is a member of Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, La Dame Escoffier, City Harvest Food Council, ICP, and more. She is an adjunct professor at NYU, and she has been featured and quoted in many notable publications. So welcome, Jennifer. I was an adjunct professor at NYU. She was. I've done that time. Well, that's still very but impressive. I do, I do do some seminar work with um, ICE, so I love to teach. Yes, I, I kind of... I. I read through the bio and I cut it short a little okay. bit because I was going on and on, but it was all, it was all so impressive. And I was, so, you know, for me, I fell into PR. I kind of had a love for restaurants and then ended up becoming a publicist. So is that sort of similar to you? Um, not really. I actually had a job in beauty PR when oh. I graduated college. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. It was not my first job out of college. My very first job was a corporate job at MetLife Insurance Company, and that didn't last a full year. Um, but I worked for a beauty PR company. I worked there for about three years, and I left to move to Philadelphia, actually. It wasn't that I left PR. I, I really liked the whole idea of PR, but I moved to Philadelphia, and I was going to graduate school for nutrition, and I needed to work. And so I lied my way into a restaurant job because I'd never worked in a restaurant before. And I became, nice. <laughs> yeah, I got a great job at a small restaurant in Philadelphia that had at the time been there for 18 years. So if I do the math, it's probably been there for like 50 years already. Um, and it was a small, really staff run restaurant. So I fell in love with restaurants through that. I did not finish my master's in nutrition. I moved back to New York um, was working in front of house management and applied to business school. I decided I want to go to business school. So I, I went to business school full time. And when I was graduating, I was looking for a job and I was talking to some restaurateurs. Um, but I also was looking at corporate jobs and I took a job at the bank of New York in their corporate, it was a training program. They put you through a training program when you graduate from business school. And the minute I walked into that office, I knew that I had made a mistake. Um, and so I left there and I went to work for ARC restaurants in management. Mm -hmm. And one thing led to another. I took on a couple of consulting projects. And in 2000, I started this company with one client. Who was that? Um, my very, very, very first official client was a restaurant on Fifth Avenue and 13th Street called Luan. It's no longer there. And the partners were Stephen Baldwin and, ironically enough, Jason Strauss and Noah Tepperberg, ah. who are actually my clients again. 
Um, full circle. Full circle. <laughs> I mean, my second client was Sarah Moulton, and she is still our client um, just about 14 years later. So. Yes, yeah, Sarah's great. Yes. I mean, I know her from the Women's Culinary Alliance, yeah. which she founded. Yeah, it was, it's been a great run. It's amazing. Yeah, so now you're up to 30, about a staff of 30. You know, I'm less than, I'm fewer than 30. Um, you know, we were at some point up to 40. I mean, I've, I've consciously tried to pull back um, to be more nimble. I think you're more nimble the fewer people you have. And so <laughs> it's been a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're about, I think we're about 27 right now but to in me, two offices. To me, that's large, especially for what we do. I, I mean, most of the hospitality PR agencies I know, I mean, I'm really small, but most are, I think, under 10 people, I would say. I think a lot are, and I think um, I think a lot are, are bigger than that, whether you realize it or not. Somebody once said to me, a, a woman who has a, a PR firm not in restaurants, um, although she did some hospitality work, she said to me, and I really, I, I, this is one of my biggest conundrums. PR is in and of itself not the greatest business model because the more clients you get, the more people you have to have. And so it becomes this vicious cycle of ramping up, pulling back. I never wanted to be that. I mm-hmm. never wanted to not have enough work for the people who I employed, who I worked with. Um, and I didn't want people sitting around doing nothing. And in our industry, where there's a fee structure that's very different from, let's say, you know, Microsoft probably spends $100 million just on their PR. That's not happening in our industry. <laughs> um, yeah, it wish. becomes even more of a complicated business model like that. So we've consciously pulled back on people and have a different kind of client mix. So with with your staff then and with your clients how do you manage it because i know for me pretty much that i'm doing everything myself still that i know i i you know i i i meet the client i i know everything that's going on because i'm i'm doing it so with it are you structured with teams um that are then working on several accounts like how does it work yeah, so we work in a team structure, um, and and the team size varies depending on the scope of work for the client, um, and and that team, every team is overseen by. I'm not a titles person. I don't know if you know that about me, but I just don't love titles. I know they're important. I know that people have to have them. I know that people want promotions and all of that, and I understand that titles lend accountability and and all of that. But um, so I use titles reluctantly, but we have account directors on every team who oversee, um, you know, senior account executives, account Mm -hmm. executives, assistant account executives, account coordinators, you know, it goes all the way down the line. Um, And, and every single client has some semblance of a team. Now that team may just be two people, but that may be because that's all their scope of work needs. Um, We don't bill hourly. Um, a lot of big firms do, and so we have to the the staffing versus service model is something that we have to pay attention to. So yeah, so there are teams, and then there are VPs, which you know is another. What does that mean? Um, and basically, the VPs are the people I meet with all the time, who we are strategizing for the overall company, different goals, um, what kind of what are our hiring needs, what are, what what are client issues, all of that. And how many VPs do you have now? 
Um, I have two VPs. I have two VPs. I have one VP, one managing partner, and we're about to have another VP. Got it. And you have an office in California, I do. right? I have okay. an office in LA. I mean, I know, yeah. you, you know, you say you work a lot. I work a lot. I know, I know pretty much everything that's going on. And that oh, doesn't I, mean I'm, I'm sure working you on do. every single Not client doubting it. every yeah. day because I just wouldn't be able to and run a company. But, you know, I, I'm fully no. aware of... Well, I've, I mean, going on your website and looking at your client list, it's so impressive. And you have clients, I mean, you have clients around the world, and your list is much larger than my list because there's only so much I can manage. I mean, you need, I mean, you know, you have a larger staff, you have more clients. and Client lists are deceptive because do you list, you know, I work with Bobby Flay. Do you list Bobby Flay as a client or do you list every single one of his restaurants as a client? Um, and so then... You know, people make really long lists of clients for whatever reason, and it's – why? Is it to show that you have lots of clients, or is it to show your scope of work, or so everyone knows who they contact if Mm -hmm. they need something related to a client? So we only list clients we currently work with on our client list, um, and I don't even have on my site access to clients we used to work with. Um, But – yeah, we work an average of, you know, if you look at the average of how many clients each person works on, it's, you know, somewhere between one and three. Now, they may be working on a team of four, and that team may be working on a group of clients, but the average works out per person. Right. And then you mentioned with fee structure, I do a monthly retainer, typically. Is that what you're doing? We do. Yeah, and there are pluses and minuses to that. I think that we're in a service business. I mean, I came from hospitality, so I understand service, and that's what we do. You know, we have a responsibility to serve our clients. Um, it it would be it we do um, several times a year. We'll do hourly analysis just to see where we are with clients. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, because it is interesting. And, you know, if you if the big firms, just like lawyers, if you had the president of the company, they would bill 5X mm-hmm. and the lowest level person bills X. And so when a client calls a meeting and they insist that the president is there, if they were paying hourly, they may not insist. So it's a different type of thinking from a client perspective. Yeah. But I've yeah, always done it that sense. way. I've always done mm-hmm. monthly retainer. So I wouldn't really... And then there's the work that goes into billing hourly on our, on our end. Right, right. No, I, I think monthly retainer, I prefer that as versus an hourly. Um, but that's, yeah, that's very, that is very interesting. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back. You're listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is Desperate Man by Brothers NYC on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Dollar show, the rent of pretty pennies. Invested all I had, every cent in both you and me. 
The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef's Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Jennifer Baum of Bullfrog and Baum, and we're talking about hospitality PR. So, Jennifer, I wanted to ask you about your late father-in-law, Joe Baum. Okay. Because he um, is, you know, very well known as, as a restaurateur who founded or was he founded the Four Seasons Restaurant. Windows in the World. Am I getting this right? Well, Rainbow he, Room. He worked with RA. He was, and I'm going to butcher this. I, I could use my <laughs> husband sitting here. He was on the creative team of um, working with RA. So he did the creative concept. So, yes, he was one of the founders and creators of Four Seasons. Um, and yes, Windows on the World, in uh, the original Windows on the World. So he did work with the Port Authority when they built the original Trade Center in the 70s. Um, and then he left there, but then was brought back in 93 after the bombing. And he reopened Windows on the World um, and Cellar in the Sky and then turned it into Wild Blue and Greatest Bar on Earth and everything. Um, he got the Rainbow Room lease in, I want to say, 1985 until 1998. And he opened in his lifetime, and I'm sorry, Charlie, if I'm getting this wrong, um, over 200 restaurants in his lifetime. That's amazing. And things that people still talk about and that have set the stage for mm-hmm. restaurants as they exist today. Yeah, legendary. And yeah. did he did he influence your career or is um, you know, I I always knew of him. So when I started working in the restaurant industry, I of course always knew of him. I didn't really personally know him. Um, until I met my husband. And so I knew him really, and, and you know, family, so very intimately, um, for only a couple of years before he died. So I spent a lot of time with him, and I was working for Matthew Kenny at the time for yeah. a lot of that time. Um, and so, yeah, we would spend a lot of time talking about restaurants and, you know, one of we had this amazing conversation about hotel restaurants because at the time, and it's totally changed now, I was really intrigued as to why hotel restaurants worked in cities like San Francisco, but they really, at the time, again, it's changed, they were not that successful here in New York. They were still simply an amenity to the hotel. And, you know, one of the biggest, he said to me, he's like, uh, because they don't have separate entrances. And it was, you know, Duh, they don't have separate entrances, so people, it's not like being in a restaurant that happens to be in a hotel, it's a hotel restaurant. And so if you look, a lot of the restaurants that are in hotels, and I'm not saying it's because of him, but he knew that that was one of the reasons. I just remember having conversations like that with him. Crazy, picky, 
you know, I met him very early on. He was doing a, a smoked salmon tasting for the restaurants out at Windows at, at um, the tennis center when they were redoing the tennis center for the U.S. Open, and he was sitting at a table tasting smoked salmon, and he had to taste like fifty before he decided which one was going to be the one that they were going to serve. Um, so I was already working in restaurants. I think it, it, it's. It, it makes me sad that I didn't get to mm -hmm. spend more time with him um, because he's a genius. There's no question about it. You yeah. know, one of those crazy creative geniuses. Um, and those who knew him, who are still in the industry and around, you know, have great stories about him and what they've learned from him. So I think I would have learned a lot more. Yeah, well, it's just it's just cool that you have the connection. And did yeah, I, I mean, I can't, you know, yes, I married his son. So I have <laughs> the last name and some people realize it and know and some people don't. But did I, I think I read this a couple of months ago that you, are you working with the new Rainbow Room that's coming about? Okay. Because that's cool that it's, it, it I is, don't know, it but ties you know, family together in a it sense. It is, and it does. And, and obviously I know the space very, very well, but we are really working on Rainbow Room for going forward. You know, it's very much um, a going forward and giving it back to the city um, because the Bounds left Rainbow in 1998, so it's been a long time since they were there. So this is very exciting. It's just a very new rainbow room. And for those of us who know the space, mm -hmm. we'll be so excited. And I think anybody who's never been up there will just be, it's, it's very exciting. It is exciting. When's it projected to open? Uh, we don't have an exact date okay. yet. <laughs> I will stay tuned. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you, so last week I had on Steve Olson, a.k.a. Wine Geek, do you know Steve? I do. Okay. And, well, he called both of us brilliant, by the way. Oh, if well, you that's didn't nice. listen to the show. And so, thank, thank you, Steve. Yes, thank you, Steve. <laughs> You're brilliant, too. Uh, so he, I asked him to ask you a question. And his question, he was, he was commenting about PR, how it's not cheap. And, you know, how sometimes people don't believe in it. And, you know, but he has seen how it can make a huge difference for restaurants. And... So he wants to know why PR is a good investment for a restaurant, particularly a small restaurant, and how that money can be made back. So ROI on PR is one of those horribly intangible things, yes, um, as I we know. know. <laughs> um, you know, it's not like you're selling a, a product, a tangible product, so you can see how many units you sell and how many you know, reorders you have or whatever. It's a very cumulative thing. The reason, now look, we all have jobs, and God knows there's a lot of people who do what we do out there now. So obviously enough people think there's a good reason to have it. Um, one of the reasons that I, I think it's so valuable is it's very hard to be your own advocate. Now, yes, you can pick up the phone and call any media. I mean, there, there's no secrets anymore how to access, you know, someone from the New York Times or Eater or wherever it is that you want to be um, written about. You can reach out to them on your own. That's the easy part. I think openings and things like that are, are 
easier because everybody wants to know what's yeah. new. I think yeah, where PR becomes extremely valuable is down the road and the strategies for keeping your restaurant busy and your restaurant talked about um, for the long run. And I think there is a strategy to that. I was actually, one of my clients sent me a link to some blog um, and I was reading it and it was about a well-known restaurateur and who's opening lots of restaurants. And it said in there that a couple of the projects this person has opened, you hear about, you've you heard about when they opened, but you don't hear anything about them anymore. Now, a good PR firm, a good marketing firm would have enough of a strategy that you would hear about a place when it opens and you would hear about a place six months in. Um, but it, it is expensive. It can be expensive. The margins of running a restaurant are so small that if you think about giving a portion of that margin to PR and marketing, it, it, you feel it. I mean, a lot of people feel it, especially smaller restaurants. Um, and it seems that it's the last thing that gets budgeted for. Often. And the last thing that gets paid. Yes. I think, <laughs> I think, I think a good restaurateur has it in their budget. I think they think about it. Um, yes. But and that they, they may have an in-house person. They may have a firm, but they have it in their budget. Um, even if it's short term. I mean, we do short term projects that we design for small restaurants that can't afford, you know, a long term budget for PR, but they're, they're worth getting the word out there. And we just know how to do it in a way that they don't have to think about it. We take care of it for them and we do it for 45 days. And that's then, your, that's your tadpole. Yeah. And then they go with it. And mm -hmm. a lot of those places, you know, a lot of the, those restaurants want us to continue. And a lot of those places get really a lot of attention. I mean, many small restaurants that we've done that for have gotten you know, full-blown reviews in the New York Times. Several have been in, you know, front page above the fold stories in the Times. Um, the buzz gets started. The, the chatter gets started. So that can work. I think it depends on the kind of client you're working with. Yes, I agree. And I think it's, I think it's just, be, it's very competitive out there. And I, I mean, working with new places, it is easier to do a, an opening PR campaign because we know the media is going to want to talk about the new place. Yeah. The challenge is when I, I get the call for the four or five month old restaurant that all of a sudden is like, hey, I want some PR. Can you help? <laughs> yeah, that's like that danger zone. I think that it's almost better for them to wait till they're a year old and come to you. Um, but that happens off, often with me. And I've taken some of those accounts. And, you know, I think you have to have realistic expectations. But, you know, I love what I do and I love looking at the restaurant and finding, you know, what's unique about them and why are people going to want to write about this place. Um, but I also think that, you know, we suffer from everybody wants everything that's new. And if you're six months old, you're old. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, there are some great places out there that didn't have a budget for PR, or didn't think they needed it or didn't know the right person or were afraid of it or thought they could do it themselves, but obviously they can't run a restaurant and do it themselves. And so they got to it a little late. And I think that, you know, people who are writing about restaurants, you know, should at least listen. They don't have to write about them, but just because it's six months old doesn't mean it's still not 
worthy of writing about or have something that's interesting. I agree. To write about. I absolutely agree. It's just it's um, the new thing. It's coming up with well, what what is new always seems to attract people. What's new or what's really old? You know, uh, things that have been around forever. Mm-hmm. They also are of interest. Right, because um, how can that be? <laughs> look at this. This place is, has been here forever. Well, they wrote about that restaurant, Basta Pasta, on, what is it, 16th or 17th Street? I mean, I used to go there when I lived on 16th Street, and they just wrote about it. They're opening a wine bar or something. They never wrote about it before. It's been there forever, and people right. love it yeah. and as regulars, but now they're opening a wine bar, so they wrote about it. See, new. It's new. new. There's a hook. Yeah. Well. <laughs> you know. It's um, one of those things. But to answer his question, it, it can be pricey. Um, but I also think if you work with the right person who understands your goals, you know, sometimes it's not just being written about everywhere. If you're not written about in the right places, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter. Um, and so I think it's about finding the right person, too. Yes, well said. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round questions and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Welcome back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Jennifer Baum. And we're going to do my speed round questions now. So this is just my radio game, where I'm going to give you two choices, and you just pick your preference. Of what, question or answer? Well, it's sort of, <laughs> well, it's it's just an either or, such as okay. chocolate or vanilla. Okay. So there's no right or wrong. Go ahead. Okay. Eat in or eat out. Eat out, except on weekends. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) How about wine, beer, or cocktail? Wine. 
tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Combo. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh. Um, isn't a chef's counter kind of communal? I love this game. I learned <laughs> every, every week someone reacts differently. So I'm going to yes. say chef's counter. Okay. <laughs> Zagat or Michelin guide? Oh, I can't answer that. All right. <laughs> tried. I tried. How about Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook? Um, all three. Instagram. Email or phone? Oh, I much prefer the phone, but I really? have no choice. Yeah. Old-fashioned PR on the phone. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love email, but I just... There's nothing better than actually talking to a person. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate, for sure. New York City or Brooklyn? Well, Brooklyn is in New York City. Yeah, everyone's getting me on that technical Manhattan technicality. Or Manhattan or Brooklyn? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, so I'll say Manhattan. Well done. You won. <laughs> Thank, thanks for playing. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, so restaurant industry news this week. So I just I just found out today, and I told Jennifer right before we went on the show, which um, we were both very shocked. I saw it on Twitter that Stephen Shaw has passed away, and he was the founder of eGullet, um, pretty much like a pioneer in food blogging. Listen, before eGullet, he had Fat Guy, which right. that was when I first met him. Um yeah, it's very sad. It's he, he's an amazing person, and my path has crossed with him forever. Really, in all the years that I've been doing this, somehow, somewhere, yeah. personal business, he's just kind of always been there. Yeah, so I didn't know him that well, but I I thought he was a great guy. I'm I don't know why. I think he was, you know, in his as we said, sort of. He was mid, too young to he was, pass he, away. He, was he has late a small 40s. son. And, yeah. And it's just tragic. And this is the third time on this show I've talked about someone in the industry who's very young who's passed away. And so they say things happen in three. Let's be done with this. Let's hope. But our thoughts are with his family. Yes, and absolutely. His wife and son. And My sincere condolences. It's just, it's really sad. So that was not on my list. Um, so let's move on. Thanks. Time Out New York yesterday. I just saw that the editor, Mari Uhara, I think that's how you say her last name, and the new restaurant critic, well, he's, he was there nine months, uh, Daniel S. Meyer, have both um, left. And yeah. it said Mari is going to Sever, and I saw Daniel is moving to California. I don't know what he's doing. Um, I think Time Out New York is one of those publications that it does, I mean, since I've been doing this, Every few years, it's it seems as a different editor and different people. I mean, Jay Cheshire was the restaurant critic for five years, uh, but was he there that long? Mm-hmm. Yeah, five. I always thought of Time Out. If you look at their track record of their um, their eating out editors, or what the f- formal title is, every single one of them has landed somewhere great. And I always mm-hmm. thought of. I mean, from a million years ago, the list is long. And I always thought of Time Out as kind of this 
this um, incubator for this great talent and if they could make it there because it's not an easy job. I mean, it's it's a weekly with a lot of stuff that needs to get in there and a lot of competition for that information. Um, I don't. How long was I think Jordana was before Mari, right? And how yeah. long was she in that Mari position? was there, I think, a little over a year. But you're right, Mally Carpenter, Gabrielle Gershenson, Adam Rappaport. Um, yeah, they were all there. They all they all came from there. And I don't. It's interesting though. Over the past two years, the the turnover. It's been. I don't think Mari like Jordana left and Mari stepped up. And you know, I don't know. I mean, there. I don't. I haven't seen an announcement of who's taking over. Um, I don't know. But we we shall find out soon. Yeah, and you know, there's so few print opportunities that if that's where your passion lies to be in print, mm-hmm. um, you have to take the opportunities when they come. So Yeah, they do they do great food coverage in New York. I mean it's but you're right, it's a weekly. It's a tough job. It's a weekly with a lot of it's yes, it's a tough job, and anybody who has worked there on the food beat will tell you that it's a tough job. So, right, well, we'll good see. luck to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> ditto. Okay, so in the New York Times today, John, John George was re-reviewed by Pete Wells, and he kept his four stars. Yes, which I'm very happy about. Uh, he was last reviewed in 2006 by Frank Bruni. So I just recently had lunch at Nougatine. I'd been there before. Um, I still think his chocolate molten cake <laughs> that everyone copies is the best. <laughs> I I love Jean-Georges. I just do. I mean, the yeah. restaurant, mm-hmm. but just the person. I just, I th- I'm so happy. Congratulations. I'm so happy for him. I love that restaurant. He's always there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was there when you he were was. there. He was. But I'm telling you, every time. <laughs> we go there, he's there. He was. Um, I was there for lunch like a week and a half ago. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's just the consummate gentleman and just great and does great stuff. Um, I agree. I'm I like so him. much of what he does. I mean, I remember going to JoJo the fir- first ah, time. It was JoJo. So <laughs> I remember what I was wearing. <laughs> I remember it so well because it was, you know, a date and it was just, it's just one of those things. You just don't forget them. So. Yeah, I've I've eaten in the main dining room once. I loved it. Uh, it's just a it's a great restaurant. Yeah, and, deserves and, its and I four. think that Pete Wells talks about the windows. And mm-hmm. It's just got it all going on. So that's great. I'm yeah. happy for him. Great, agree. Congratulations. Okay, so I wanted to bring up the James Beard Foundation. Just put in a kitchen cam, mm-hmm. and I got I was watching the first night they did it. They had Daniel Ballou there, who was perfect to to launch this and it was very cool they have three cameras they have with views of the kitchen the stove and the prep and i don't know i i was by the way the kitchen is like two feet by two feet yes you realize it's very small and to see (laughs) the magic made it look bigger well the magic that comes out of that kitchen every nightly it's incredible and i mean anyone curious about the james beer foundation Go to the website and watch this because I got suckered in. I was just all of a sudden I found myself just like watching it. I couldn't. I kept going back. It was on my computer. And I, I haven't like, watched it yet. Is the sound on? The sound's on. Them? Yeah, the sound was on. And Danielle was so funny. He had his cookbook. He's like showing it up on the screen, and he was toast. I mean, it, it, he he was he was working he was the camera. It up. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's cool. It's cool. I ha- that's the only night I've watched. Um, Look, I think people are so interested in the food world, you know, it gives them a sneak peek. It does. It's, I mean, it's very mm-hmm. good for the James Beard Foundation because for years and years and years, only people in the food world were really focused on the James Beard Foundation. They had a group of members that were, you know, older who had kind of grown up with it. And I think that's changed over the years. And I think they've done a good job of, of embracing, we call them civilians, people who have absolutely nothing to do with the Beard Foundation or with um, the food world. I remember I was having drinks with a friend a couple of years ago and she said, I think I'm going to go to the Beard Awards. I'm like, you are? She has nothing to do with the food world. And she's like, yeah, you know, we're members of the Beard Foundation. So I think we're going to go. And I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. Because, and so this mm-hmm. is just another layer of that. Yeah, it is. It's cool. I'm, I'm, I, I think it's cool they're doing it. Just make sure they watch their mouth. Well, they have to because they're cooking in an open kitchen with guests walking by. So they have to be, they have to behave. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. Okay, and lastly, I'll just bring up quickly that we saw each other a week, not this past week and the weekend before. It was the Cherry Bomb Jubilee Conference, which was uh, the first time they did this women's conference focused on food. And I thought it was fabulous. Well, it's it's the first... Oh, my phone was on. It's the first time they did it, but I mean... Well, that there, is what women chefs and restaurateurs and things like that. Right. Are. It was. I mean, there it was under organizations that focus on women and food. Um, I True. thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting to see the turnout. It was a um, great turnout. Yeah. Did you? I didn't think there were no men in the audience, which I, was I thought was really interesting. Because if I was a man, I'd be interested in. Well, there were three. <laughs> Did was, you, I saw? I saw like one or two. It was like Greg Morbido and Philip Baltz and blanking on who the third one was I saw but yeah I thought more men would have been there even though it was all women speakers yeah. but yeah it was a lot of men much... go to the women's power lunch for city meals oh I've never been to that that's no, great it's I, I need to go I, I've heard it's great um yeah it was it was very interesting yes I, I would have I, I think a lot of people would have liked to have been able to ask questions or raise yeah comments but They'll, you know, it's their first year. If they do it again, which I assume they will, they'll... Yeah, and it was a, it was a long day. They packed a lot in. I think if they did the Q&A, it wouldn't have... It, was, it would have slowed it down a little. Well, but, that's why they did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they said at the beginning, that they didn't really right. have time. Um, yeah, they packed a lot in. I thought the food was good. The food was great, what was it, yeah. the smile, catering? I thought it was really good. Yeah, and the, the venue, the new mm-hmm. Highline Hotel. It was Very nice. Very nice, yeah. Well, it was nice seeing you there. It was nice seeing you, too. <laughs> I saw a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a while, so it was nice. Yeah, it was. And I was sandwiched in between you and Ruth Reichel at well, that, for that part. Ruth moved over. <laughs> She'd been sitting next to me, and she's like, you know, we don't need to sit next to each other. There's space. And so she moved over, and then you sat down. There weren't that many seats. I missed, I missed her, I missed her, her, her uh, discussion because I had to leave. Um, but I, yeah, you know, she was I read great. recaps, and, and I heard that. She's always great. Yeah, I was honored to be sitting next to her. <laughs> <laughs> She's she always has something great to say, and she just always says it in in a way that you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. She's terrific. So, um, yeah, it was. I thought it was. I thought there were some interesting topics. You know, I think all women need to support each other, but I think everybody needs to support each other. 
But I think women need to have women's backs. Yeah, I agree. Whatever that really means, I just think it's really important. And I don't know if it always happens. Yeah, but it should. That could be another show. <laughs> yes, that could be. And at another time, we're gonna. So we're <laughs> gonna, we'll take a break here. One more break. We're gonna come back. We'll talk about my solo dining experience. This is on the industry and Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back. It's All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so this week I headed down to Gato, which is a new Mediterranean restaurant in the NoHo area. It's from Chef Bobby Flay and Lawrence Kretschmer. Now, this duo closed Mesa Grill last year after 22 years, 
and this is their new recently opened hotspot. And I read that it's named after a mysterious red cat that apparently brushed by Bobby uh, when he was looking at the space. So that's why it's called Gato. Okay, so it was this past weekend, it was Saturday night, my favorite night usually to stay in, but I felt like going out, and I felt like going to Gato. So I risked that it would be too busy, and I went on the early side. Now, I arrived around 6.30, and the bar was full. But I waited it out, it took about 20 minutes, and I got a seat. In the meantime, I saw Lawrence, the owner, and we chatted a bit. And I also spotted Bobby in the kitchen. It's an open kitchen, and he was behind the line the whole time cooking. And so I sat at the bar, and it's really a great place to sit. It's a rectangular shape, and it has about 20 seats. And it's, it's sort of the center of the, the restaurant. Uh, I loved sitting there. It had really great energy, energy, and it wasn't too loud or crowded. So what did I eat? Well, first I started with, they have um, this option to get start, like starters that come three on uh, together. They're three for $17. And there's about 12 options. So I had the ricotta with mushrooms, the white anchovies, and the beef crudo. And they were all delicious. Then next, I could not resist to get the octopus. And it was superb. It was perfectly cooked, very tender, had a little bit of heat. And last, I had a scoop of their house-made chocolate gelato, and they also sent out biscotti. Now, I mentioned on a previous show how I usually skip dessert when I'm solo, but here was another place, like Alonda, which I did a solo dining at, that offered these fabulous single gelato and sorbet scoops for $3. So I love this, dining alone and getting a single scoop um, so I can satisfy my sweet tooth tooth it's really it's working for me so one more and it's it's totally a trend in my book now i'd like to give a shout out to the bar staff there was thomas and melissa they were just lovely and they took really good care of me they actually sent out well melissa sent out a complimentary glass of sherry at the end and i wasn't drinking so i gave it to my neighbors and made them very happy and it was really nice to see lawrence who was he was working the floor and I, I enjoyed it. It's a great place um, to go solo or with, with friends or whoever. So I recommend it. And Gado is on Lafayette Street near Houston. And their website is gadonyc.com. And if you have any further questions, you can talk to their publicist, <laughs> who um, is sitting here with me today. And yes, it's you one of your clients. You didn't choose the restaurant because I was No, gonna... I didn't. I wasn't. I honestly wasn't sure. I knew you worked with Bobby on his Burger Palace. But I didn't know if you were involved at all. And I mentioned to Lawrence at the end of my meal, I said, hey, I do this radio show and I'm going to have Jennifer Baum on. And he, I, he said he was going to listen. So. Oh, hi, Lawrence, if you're listening. You should have him on. He's good. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Lawrence, if I offered you up and you're not interested. No, it was, it was, um, it was a great place. It was, I really enjoyed it. I love that restaurant. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to get in. Well, even for me. <laughs> well, I I looked. They opened at five thirty, and I was like, "Do I have to show up at five thirty to get a seat?" And pretty much, you know what? I, I was to. there for dinner. Um, I was meeting friends at seven, and I was like, "You know what? I had time to kill." I think I got to the bar at like a quarter to six. I figured I'd sit, catch up on emails, talk to Lawrence. I it was packed. Mm-hmm. It's a great bar. It is a great bar, really. It's, and the little seats in the front and the lounge area. It's just a really nice. And you could see the open kitchen from yes. there, too. Yeah. But it's a bar with four corners, which mm-hmm. 
you know, it's awesome. Yeah, I like this space a lot. And the food was delicious, really. Yeah, you have to go back because you didn't get that much. Well. There's some really, really, really good stuff on the menu. Yeah, it was. But, the you know, I didn't get that much. The I knew those three initial dishes were going to be small. They were a little bigger, actually, than I thought. They were they were. But you want to go small. back with friends because you want to be able to try lots of stuff. And that's yes. what makes those bar snacks fun. Yes. you can get lots of those. Yes, so. that's the challenge of being by myself. I don't. Right. Well, I don't. I don't order as much. I don't. I said. I said. I usually skip the dessert, and now I'm finding these these scoops that you can get. Right, which is awesome. I went to Zatania in um, D.C. Jose Andreas's restaurant. I was alone. I had time to kill, and it's another one of those places where you want to go with someone because there's so many great things you want to order. So mm-hmm. I ordered like two things. <laughs> so I missed out on a bunch of stuff, but I get it. Um, so where are you going to go next on your solo dining? I don't know. Do you know know in advance or do you... No, I kind of just... Wing it? Winging it. And that was... It was on my list and I had... I remember I did look to make a reservation for dinner and it was like... I do have something I'm holding for like three weeks from now at 6.30. And no, and I I figured... I figured it would be a good thing to talk about. And um, yeah, but typically I don't go out on Saturday night. So... (laughs) Right. And then after, I'll just give a shout out. I walked around the corner and I ended up going to um, Social. Uh, what's it called? Their the website's Drink Social. It's a new bar that's under Ble- Bleecker Street Kitchen that just opened. Oh, okay. And I ended up going there. I walked in. There was like six birthday parties going on. They're like, "Are you with a party?" I'm like, "No, I'm solo. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me." <laughs> um. Did you stay or did you? I did, uh, and I, 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 I had something to drink. The basketball game was on. I, I kind of kept myself entertained. I didn't stay that long. Yeah, but that's good. Yeah, it was cool. So, okay, so to wrap things up now, it's time for the final question, which is, so next week I'm having on Sal Rizzo of Degustibus Cooking School. And you know Sal. I'm sure you've had yeah. chefs probably, you know, at Degustibus. But I know Sal from the Beard House. What? When he used <laughs> to run the Beard House. Oh, right, right. Well, Sal That's is really awesome. That's really where I know Sal from. Okay, so you know him for a while. A while. So what should I ask him? Um, okay, so we have a couple of questions. I mean, one which... I think would be interesting because he was at the beard house for so long is um, what are the differences? I mean, that's not that good a question because I guess one of the things that we wanted to know was in the 33 years of running Degustibus, not all of them under him, obviously with over 11, I think almost 1200 guest chefs have been there. Is there anyone who has not, graced your kitchen who you would like to good question that's one question how has the crowd at Degustibus changed over the years since he got there I'd be interested in that yes because I, I think it's the whole idea of Degustibus to me is so interesting you go up in Macy's through the coke department mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and the and the store is closed yeah it's like this hidden Gem in Macy's. <laughs> it's like the it's like the book about the two little kids who get locked in the museum of, uh, I guess it's the Met. No, you would never know it's there. <laughs> it's um, and it's such a spectacular kitchen and setup. Yeah, yeah. And I have clients who say they get a lot of regulars 
from Degustibus. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's cool. I had one client who would always do it because she always got one or two regulars each time she did it, and that's good. That is good. Well, they have regulars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Any anything else? <laughs> those. I mean, I I just no, need one. So th- those so, are the those okay. are the two. Perfect. <laughs> I will ask him. Looking forward to having him on, and I'm so glad you came out here today. This oh, was, well, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. This was fun to talk PR and, and learn more we, about we you. We should do it again sometime. We should. Okay, so my guest today has been Jennifer Baum of Bullfrog and Baum. Their website is bullfrogandbaum.com, Twitter and Instagram at Bullfrog and Baum, and Jennifer's handle is Baum Jennifer. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at All Industry, at Sherry Bayer, and at Bayer PR. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com. Okay, if you miss this live broadcast or any of our shows, you can find us archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're also on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Evan, and all of you listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 p.m. for another live show. Hope you'll tune in then, and till then, have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.